0: As we continue to talk about heaven, and this morning, we'll talk about the present heaven. What's going on in heaven right now? Where is that heaven? And how long will that heaven be? You with me this morning? I feel like you're drifting on me. Come on. Everybody stretch. All right. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. Paul is saying this as he's talking to the church at Thessalonica. And he's talking to them about events that are to come. And there is some confusion there among them about the resurrection. And Paul is saying these words to them in this one verse. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed. Maybe your version that you're reading from says, we do not want you to be ignorant. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We have hope this morning in the resurrection someday. We have hope in knowing that our eternal destination is in heaven. I read this this week. It says a cab driver reaches the pearly gates. St. Peter looks him up in his big book and tells him to pick up a gold staff and a silk robe and go to the finest neighborhood in heaven. Next in line is a preacher. St. Peter looks him up in his big book, furrows his brow, and says, Okay, we'll let you in, but take that cloth robe and wooden staff, and we'll put you on the list for housing. The preacher is shocked and replies, But I am a man of the cloth. I preach the gospel. You gave that cab driver a gold staff and a silk robe and a fine home. Surely I rate higher than a cabbie. St. Peter responds matter-of-factly, says, this is heaven. And up here, we are interested in results. When you preached, people slept. When the cabbie drove his taxi, people prayed. There's a lot of bad theology in that joke, but everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go to die. That's the old African proverb. I've talked to a lot of people as a minister about heaven. One of the most profound uh, conversations that I had was sitting on uh, the minister's pew at the funeral home with my my friend Bobby Kirk, and we were doing a funeral together, and we, we were talking about heaven. And he said, Michael, I've reached the age where I have more invested in heaven than I do invested here, and I long to go home and be with Jesus. And see my investments. That's how we should all be thinking. Is to be thinking about we're going home someday to heaven. And Paul wants us to understand what happens after we die. After we pass from this life. Because death will begin an eternal progression for us as believers. One of the main questions that people ask is why do Christians die? Why do Christians have to go through some of the things that we go through here in this life? And why do Christians die? Why are we not transported straight to heaven at some point after we repent of our sins and give our lives to Jesus? See, death is not a punishment for Christians. Paul tells us clearly in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ Jesus. So one of these days y'all are going to understand that verse and you're just going to shout the roof off. All the penalty for our sins has been paid in full. Even though we know that Christians die, we don't view our death, uh, the death of a Christian, as punishment from God or in any way a result of a penalty due to us for our sins. The penalty for sin is surely death. But that penalty no longer applies to us. Think about that for a minute. Not in terms of physical death and not in terms of spiritual death does that apply to us. Not in terms of separation from God. All of those things have been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. We don't go through a spiritual death. There on the cross at Calvary, Jesus said to God the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When I became a follower of Jesus, when I placed my faith in grace to, to Jesus Christ, I committed my spirit to God, and my spirit is with Him, will, my soul is with Him, will never die. Physically, I will, uh, I will someday, this body will, will pass away, but my soul will not. I will never worry about being separated from God. Jesus said on the cross, in some of his final words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus suffered that separation on the cross, and I will never have to know that. There has to be another reason for punishment, uh, than punishment for our sins, if we are to understand why Christians die. See, death is the final outcome of living in a fallen world. I am a believer in Jesus. I am living for Christ. I am striving to do more every day to be more like Christ. I am striving to allow Him to take what's inside of me and mold it and shape it to be more like Jesus. But here's the the honest fact is that I live in a fallen, evil world, and it affects all of us. And the greatest effect of that is that someday we will die. And our salvation is still incomplete as we live out on this life. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Someday Jesus will destroy death Completely. Later in the same chapter, the Apostle Paul goes on to say this about Christ's return. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death will be gone. And until then, death remains a reality even in the lives of Christians. Now I'm getting older. I know you can't tell that. From this beautiful face. I'm getting older. And I'm realizing the, the, the main thing that I realize as I get older. I have body parts that I didn't realize I had 10, 20 years ago. And they hurt. They hurt a lot some days. I wake up some mornings and I'm sore and I'm hurting. And I think, well what did I do? And I realize I didn't do anything but eat yesterday. And I have, I, so I went through this. I, I, I've told you, I'm, I've, I've been uh, walking and been dieting and been trying to to lose weight, and because my ankles and my knees and my hips were screaming help. We need some relief. But I know that this is these things, even though I am a Christian. I'm still going to experience aging. I'm still going to get sick. I can still get injured. I can still be devastated by a natural disaster like an earthquake or a flood. All these things are still a reality of this fallen, evil world that we live in. And until Christ returns, all of us will grow old and die. The last enemy has not been destroyed yet. And God has chosen to allow us to experience death before we gain all the benefits of salvation that have been earned for us through Christ Jesus. So we ask the first question this morning is this. If, as a believer, I'm still going to die, where will I go? At my death, where will I go? Now, theologically, we can look at it like this and talk about the temporary nature of the present heaven. A Christian dies and enters into an intermediate state, a transitional period between our past lives here on this earth and our future resurrection to life on the new earth. I will pass away and my soul will be there waiting on a resurrected, glorified body. Now, our reference to heaven is usually referring to the place Christians go when they die. When someone leaves us through death, we would say, Well, Granny is in heaven now. She's in the present heaven. But we realize through reading our scriptures and through as we study heaven, we realize that this present heaven is a temporary place. Even though it is a far better place. Paul said in Philippians 1.23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. We are destined for life as resurrected beings on a resurrected earth. So will we live when I pass and I, my soul goes to be here? Will I be in this same place forever? Here's the biblical doctrine of heaven. We, my soul will go to temporarily to this place of heaven where I will await the time of Christ's return to earth, my bodily resurrection, the final judgment, and the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. Theologian Wayne Grudem says it like this. He says that someday there's going to be, as we read scripture, a unification of heaven and earth. There will be a joining of heaven and earth in this new creation. Now think about this. Heaven is a created place. God created heaven. It has a beginning and it is not timeless or changeless. Only God is timeless and changes. There is a present heaven where my soul will go someday in the angelic realm. Somewhere where I can't get to now, but it is completely separate from this earth. But the future heaven will be in the human realm on earth. Now, if you, if I'm losing you right here, listen to these words from John in, John in Revelation. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now get that, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, being replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 4. Theologian Anthony Hoakima writes it like this. He says, the new Jerusalem does not remain in a heaven far off in space, but it comes down to the new earth. There, the redeemed will spend eternity in resurrection bodies. So heaven and earth now separated will then be merged. The new earth will also be heaven since God will dwell there with his people. Glorified believers, in other words, will continue to be in heaven while they are inhabiting the new earth. Now, remember what I said in the first sermon in this series. The most important thing for us to know as we go through this is that God never gave up on his original plan. In his creation of this earth. God has never given up. He created a perfect place. And he was inhabiting it with his people. Until sin came in. And ruined it. Remember the vacation Bible school song? Sin what? Sin messed everything up. I'm not going to sing it. Sin messed everything up. But God's redemptive plan is to establish His original plan. And think about this. God's coming down to to earth to live with us fits perfectly with His original plan. See, God could have taken Adam and Eve after the creation. He could have taken Adam and Eve. And He could have brought them into His presence where He was. But instead... He chose to come, as we see in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. God came down to walk with them in their own world. So a synopsis is this. When I die, I'm going to a better place. My soul at death will leave this body, and I will go to a far better place. I will go there, my soul will be there, And I will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. My soul will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And this body will either be on Highland or Memory Gardens or in an urn somewhere. And this body will be separated from this soul until Christ returns. If you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it talks about Christ's return and how this body someday will rise glorified and resurrected and perfected to rejoin my soul and to be with Christ forever. You with me? Say amen. I've, I've, I've run off half the choir. What happened there? When I turn around and see that there's half the choir going, I'm thinking, was there a resurrection already? And I missed it. So there's the synopsis of all that. Where will I go? I will go to a much better place, a temporary, intermediate place called heaven. And my soul will wait for my resurrected body. And after that happens, as John describes in John chapter 21, there will be this moment in the future Where heaven, the new heaven and the new Jerusalem will come down to an earth that is perfected in the state that God intended it to be in creation. Are you with me? So here we go. Someday I'm going to live forever in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ in his original intention of his original creation, here. I'm excited. As I after I begin to understand this more and more, as I'm riding around looking, I'm I'm trying to stake out where I want to live forever. I'm talking to the Lord and say, Hey, I'd like to live right over here. Um, if you could make sure that my kids live on this side. So I know where I'm going, I know where I will go, but what will I know? When I meet death someday, what will I know? Now here's what I want to ask, can you look forward to your own death? Think about that for just a moment. Can you look forward to your own death? Now, That's hard for us to sit here right now. We all have plans. No matter what what our age is, no matter if we're a high school student or if we're in our 20s, 30s or, or on up into our 70s and 80s, we all have plans for tomorrow. We all have things we want to do. We all have things we want to accomplish. So it's hard for me to sit here and ask you, can you look forward to your own death? But yes, we can as believers. And as a matter of fact, the New Testament encourages us to view our own death not with fear. Don't be afraid of dying, but with joy at the prospect of going to be with Christ. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5.8, We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul is in prison. As he's writing to the church at Philippi, he doesn't know whether that afternoon he will be executed or whether they will release him. But he says this in Philippians 1.21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, if I live, I'm living for Christ. I'm preaching and teaching about Christ. I'm leading others into faith in Christ. And I'm doing fruitful labor here, but if I die, I have gained everything because I'm going to be with the one that I'm preaching and teaching about. And he talked about it in a way that made us think that he was looking forward to that moment. Hebrews 2 and 15 says this, that Jesus died in order that he might deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. If we live our lives in fear of death, then we are in bondage to that fear. And God doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to live in the, the love that casteth out that fear. So this verse reminds us, and it's a clear testimony, that our lack of fear of death will be a strong witness to others. If I'm not afraid of dying, then it's a strong witness Because we live in an age where people avoid talking about death and people have no answer for it. But if I'm that nut sitting around saying, well, I'm not afraid to die. People want to know why. People will ask you, well, why are you not afraid to die? Because as Paul said, if I live, it's Christ. And if I die, it's gain. I'm going to be with Jesus. So what happens when I die? We kind of... talk about this just a minute ago but my soul will go immediately into the presence of God my soul will leave this body this this sick frail body will stay here but my soul will go immediately to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ because death is a temporary cessation of bodily life and it's a separation of my soul from this body now once a believer has died Though his or her physical body remains on the earth and is buried, at the moment of death, the soul of that believer goes immediately into the presence of God and into that presence rejoicing. When Paul thinks about it, as we said in 2 Corinthians 5, eight, he says, I would rather be away from this body and at home with the Lord. Now here's some scriptural examples. Think about Matthew chapter 23, 43. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? When the thief on the cross said, remember me, or ask for forgiveness there, what did Jesus say to him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Hebrews 12, 23, the author of Hebrews says that when Christians come together to worship, They come not only into the presence of God in heaven, but also into the presence of the spirits of just men made perfect. You know what that verse is saying right there? That as we gather together here worshiping as a family of faith, as a body of believers, that heaven is worshiping with us? Think about that. God's not going to leave my deceased body in the earth forever. Christ is going to return for my soul. Christ will return someday, and my soul will be reunited with my body. My body will be raised from the dead, and I will live with Christ eternally. So we know this. Physically, when my heart takes its last beat, when my brain has its last bit of activity, this body will cease to have consciousness but my soul at that point will never be unconscious again. Jesus proves this. He bears this out in Luke chapter 16. When he talks about Lazarus and the rich man who died. Both of them were aware immediately of where their soul had gone. Lazarus went to be in paradise. And the rich man had gone to be in hell. Now these passages make it certain There are are Christian teachers who will tell you that they're based on 1 Thessalonians 4.13 and those two words falling asleep. There are Christian teachers who will say that there is such a thing as a soul sleep where our soul goes to sleep and is unconscious until Christ returns. But that phrase falling asleep there is a a euphemism for death. And it is describing our body's outward appearance. As we look like we have gone to sleep. There's no long period of unconsciousness between life on earth and life in heaven. My soul will immediately know where I am. And my soul's departure will end my existence on this earth. My physical body will sleep until the resurrection But my spiritual part will relocate to a conscious existence in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be judgment at death. When I die, I will face an immediate judgment at death. The judgment of faith. God will, at that moment, because of my faith in Christ, will immediately... the outcome of my judgment will determine that I will go to the present heaven to be with Him, and that I will not be in the present hell. This initial judgment has got nothing to do with my works, but only my faith in Christ. It will mean that I have accepted Christ's atoning death for me, and then when God judges us after we die, that He will only see His son's sacrifice for me and not my sins. Now later there will be two judgments. The believer, as is spelled out in 2 Corinthians 5.10, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and there I will give an account for how I lived and what I did with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The non-believer, as is said in Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, will go before the great white throne of judgment where they will be judged and cast into an eternal lake of fire. So I will immediately know that I am in the presence of Jesus Christ and I will also be aware that before the coming of the new heaven and new earth, I will be judged for my works in this life. Now, here's a question that I've always thought about since I have been a Christian. And I would talk to um, my good friend, Mr. Paul Canner, who passed away within the last year or so, earlier this year. And my friend, Mr. Paul Kanner would say to me about my grandmother, my grandmother Dorothy, he would say, Mike, I know that Dorothy is just watching you, and I know she's just so proud. Well, I, you know, and, and I never really thought about it that much, but, you know, think about, do our loved ones in heaven know what's happening here? Well, think about this. Think about these accounts from Scripture. Revelation 6, 9-11 through 11 gives a vivid account of the martyrs in heaven. And those martyrs in heaven know that God has yet to bring judgment on their persecutors who took their lives. So those martyrs in heaven evidently know what is going on in earth. The angel in Revelation 18-20 tells the inhabitants of heaven to rejoice over the fall of Babylon. That would indicate that the inhabitants of heaven are aware of what's happening in history on earth. Heaven's saints will return with Christ to set up His millennial kingdom. So it seems obvious that they would be aware of the events in human history that will lead up to that moment. Here's an Old Testament example some of you had in your Sunday school lessons a couple of weeks ago, when Saul went and he wanted to speak to the spirit of Samuel, Samuel told Saul things that he had done on earth after Samuel had died. So Samuel had an insight to how Saul had been living here after Samuel had even passed. In the New Testament, at the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah seem very aware of Christ's activities on earth. So is it far-fetched to say that our loved ones in heaven see what's happening on earth? It's a good question, isn't it? I ought to keep you all up from your nap this afternoon. But the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 11 what we call the the Hall of Fame there. And he writes about all those who have gone on before. And he writes about their lives, and he writes about who they were and, 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 and how they lived. And then immediately after Hebrews 11... He says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, now Paul has just talked about all of these great saints who have gone on before and it would seem logical to me as he describes there in Hebrews 12.1 that there's a great cloud of witnesses who are watching that those people are cheering us on. Now let me give credit to Randy Alcorn here for these next few um, thoughts here. But Randy Alcorn says in the book Heaven, he says, It creates the mental image of the Greek competitions, which were watched intently by large groups of enthusiastic fans sitting high up in ancient stadiums. The great cloud of witnesses refers to the saints who have gone before us, whose accomplishments on the playing field of life are now part of our rich history. The imagery seems to suggest that those saints the spiritual athlete of old, are now watching us and cheering us from the great stadium of heaven that looks down on the playing field of earth. That's a lot to think about, isn't it? I have this vantage point now on Friday nights, I get to sit way up high above everybody else and watch the game from a different vantage point and... And broadcast that game. And I get to talk about some of these guys that are sitting here. I've, I've mentioned, well this whole role here. I've mentioned all your names on the radio before. Some good, some bad. Leighton and I are going to have passing drills at the church this afternoon. I love you, Leighton. But I get to watch them. And I have watched these boys grow up. I have watched them grow from the time they were little kids playing in PARD and C-team. And I'll never forget that first C-team practice. I just dropped Bryson off and left him. I didn't do like all the other dads and stay. I left him, and and when I came back to pick him up, he got in the car, and I said, Bryson, how'd it go? And he said, Daddy, this is the first place where I can be who I am and not get in trouble for it. So I've watched them all, and, and when I'm up there at that vantage point on Friday nights, and I see them play, my heart gets excited for them when they do things well, and when they, when they, and, and when they, when they do good things, and then when something ha- bad happens, or something, or uh, you know, they drop a pass or they miss a block, my heart just kind of sinks, and I because I hurt for them, because I I, I love them. And I, I want to see them do well. And that's kind of what Paul is describing. Or I say Paul, the writer of Hebrews. I believe it's Paul. But that's what he's saying here in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Is that we have loved ones who are at a vantage point now. And they I believe they're looking down and I believe they're cheering us on. Just as Paul had that imagery in his mind. Of those old stadiums. And how they would get up high. And that vantage point that they would have looking down. And they would cheer those guys on. They would cheer those people who are racing. And the chariot races. Or, or, or those things. They would cheer them on. And I, I just. I believe this morning. And you may come. And you may take a book of theology. And you may be, you may try to prove me wrong. But I believe I have four grandparents this morning who are part of that crowd cheering me on. I believe that I have preacher friends who've gone on before me who are part of that crowd cheering me on. I believe they rejoice. What did Jesus say? Jesus said that when someone gives their life to Christ, what what did He say about what happens in heaven? He says there's rejoicing in heaven. They knew. When I gave my life to Christ, they rejoiced in heaven. But more importantly, more than all of that is, is the fact that all the all of that is going on and I don't really understand all of it completely. I won't until I'm there. But more importantly than that is, is that Jesus Christ has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us here and He's cheering us on. And the Bible tells me that when He parted from this earth, He went to sit at the right hand of the Father and that He is actually making intercessory prayer for me today. When my heart is downtrodden and when I'm dejected and when I'm when I'm hurt and when things just aren't going right, I can ask every one of you to pray for me and I know that most of you will. But more importantly than that, this morning as I stood right here, Jesus was praying for me. And someday I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. I did a funeral Friday and I explained to that family just two weeks ago this gentleman who I did his funeral for just two weeks ago out of the blue he looked his sister in the eye and he said I want you to know that I am a Christian and that I pray every day and that I'm not worried about these things and I was able to say to that family because of that His his physical body is here and we'll take it to Highland in a little while but his soul is in heaven and it is rejoicing with the Lord. And that's what's so important for us to understand this morning is that I will go to be in the physical I will go to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and I will know immediately that I am there And I will know that all of eternity, there are great, wonderful things in eternity that we have no clue. This doesn't even scratch the surface what John writes about in Revelation and what Paul and others write about. Paul said he was taken up into the third heaven and he said there are things that I can't tell you. I'm not allowed to tell you. And I don't know those things, but I know that from the moment I get there, (laughs) that through the rest of eternity... God is going to reveal wonderful, exciting things to me that are greater than any care or joy that I could ever get in this world. And I don't want you to miss that. And I want you to know that this person standing here, this person standing right here, should have been a long time ago Ceased bodily function. And a soul separated from this body. But a soul separated in hell. With no hope. With no love. And with no no hope of ever being in the presence of God again. And never knowing the wonderful joy the Holy Spirit brings to your heart. And I beg you this morning. Don't leave from this life knowing that your soul is not secure with Jesus. Don't put your faith in church membership. Don't put your faith in water baptism. Don't put your faith in anything else but the shed blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for your forgiveness of sins. Don't put your faith in anything except Jesus. And this morning, we come to this point and we come to this place. I'm not asking you to make a decision. I'm not asking you to make a decision. I'm asking you to give your life completely to Jesus Christ and let Him make the decisions for you from that point on. And for you to live, and for you to live in the fullness and richness of knowing that you have a home in heaven. That you will go to a temporary, immediate, intermediate place someday. And you will wait on God to glorify this earth that we live on. And bring heaven down to unify with this earth. And we'll be there forever. And we'll have fellowship with each other for eternity. But more importantly, we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ and His holiness and His righteousness. And we will never fight another fight with sin We will never fight another fight with illness. We will never fight another fight with disease. We will live as God intended for His creation to live in the beginning. Why would you pass that moment up? Father, as we come to you this morning and as we pray, and as we we come to this point, God, I pray more than anything else this morning, That your Holy Spirit work unhindered. That every distraction in this sanctuary would be taken away. And that anyone that your Holy Spirit is speaking to. Would feel the freedom and the liberty to say. I want to give my life completely to Jesus Christ this morning. I want to repent and turn away from my sin. I want to have forgiveness of that sin. I want my mind and heart to be changed and to be begin becoming more like Jesus today, immediately. I want to know that when I pass from this life, my soul will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that there will be wonderful things revealed to me that I can't even imagine now. Father, please, this morning, I beg and plead with you today, dear God, to transform lives and save souls. As we stand in Jesus' name. If you need to pray this morning. If you have a desire in your heart to know Christ. I can take these scriptures here. uh, Seth, Donna, any of us can take these scriptures. There are deacons here that can do the same thing. We would love to share with you how to know Christ as your Savior. If you have been avoiding or you've put off believer's baptism or church membership. Now would be a morning for that if you just want to come and pray and thank Jesus that you're going to heaven someday, or if you want to pray for a family member, a friend, a loved one that you know doesn't know Christ, and when they die, if they died this afternoon, they'd be separated from Christ for eternity in hell. If you want to pray for those, whatever you need to do this morning, this is the time to do